Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to The Layman. I'm your host, John Gabris. Uh, This is the podcast where I interview scientists as a layman, as a person who knows almost nothing about science, takes their ideas and dumbs it down enough for me to understand. Wink, wink. It's also for you to understand, but I'm not about to call you dumb in my intro to the podcast. But hey, we're not all scientists. That's a safe statement. When I was a young lad, about four years of age, I was playing in the backyard with a gypsy moth, which I guess is kind of offensive now, but it's like a caterpillar of sorts, and it was crawling on my hand, and my mom and dad were so happy. They're like, look at Jonathan, he's playing with a caterpillar, he's so brave. My parents walked away for a minute. When they came back, the caterpillar was gone. They said, Jonathan, what happened to the caterpillar? And I said, mouth. That, at the age of four, started my love for insects. Not just eating them, but also playing with them, catching lightning bugs, running over uh, a beetle on my bicycle. Just the kind of stuff a young suburban kid with the parents who work nights gets into after school. So for me, I've always loved bugs. And to get the opportunity to talk to a real-life entomologist, someone who's dedicated their life to understanding bugs, was a real treat. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Michael Wall, the Vice President of Research and Public Programs and the Curator of Entomology at the San Diego Natural History Museum. I take you now to the San Diego Natural History Museum. Dr. Michael Wall, the curator of entomology at the San Diego Natural History Museum. You got it. A.K.A. The Nat. The Nat. Very appropriate <laughs> for a bug, uh, <laughs> bug scientist. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. You get to use that every once in a while. Yeah. Do you yep. guys take like your Nat shirts and put a G in front of the N <laughs> and be like, that's us. <laughs> that's us. We're the entomology crew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, thank you so much for making time for us to talk. And B, thank you. We got a quick little behind-the-scenes museum tour. It's going to sound hyperbolic, but it was thrilling. (laughs) (laughs) I truly, my my heart rate was raised several separate times, all from just looking at animals. Yeah, we got some bizarre stuff behind the scenes, and it's, <laughs> it's often a surprise. Yeah, if you think like dinosaur bones in full display is that is awesome. Wait till you see the shit they're not showing. Yeah, right. <laughs> Literally, we saw a room that is full of jars of snakes. Yep. yep. There's no other way to phrase that. Yeah. <laughs> you said it's the world's largest rattlesnake. Collection? Yeah, we have the world's largest rattlesnake collection. <laughs> Now, does that kind of bum out the entomology department where they're like, these lizard guys? Uh, we have in total more specimens in them. So that's the way we, you know, we just say, oh, yeah, whatever. We got more than you. Storage is easier for you guys. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> yeah, you can only have one snake in each jar. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Let's back it up a little bit. How does one get involved in 
bugs. Were you science-minded as a kid? Was that something that always interested you? Yeah, my folks took me out camping a ton when I was little, so I was always interested in like the natural world. And you know, my prob- probably my interest in science came out of an interest in conservation. Yeah, and uh, as an undergraduate, I bounced around between a whole bunch of majors and stuff like that. And uh, ooh, that sounds hard. Like I was a communications major, and I bumped around a little bit, and it was like now I have to take a film class or a radio class. Science seems like a weird one to bump around. It feels like. Yeah, I started off in uh, I started off in environmental science because actually I had followed a girl down to uh, this school. <laughs> There's always a girl, <laughs> yeah. and another one comes in later. But uh, then I switched over to wildlife science, uh, which was too management oriented for me. It was all about deer and beaver and stuff like that. And then I ended up in botany, actually, so the study of plants, and that's actually what I got my bachelor's and my master's degree in. But I was always interested in like the interaction of insects and plants yeah that's something i just recently saw something about it was i was watching something about bees and i didn't realize how much plants require insects for survival oh totally that's and that's something we lord over all the 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 plant science people is how much they depend on us of course they can always retreat back and say like well yeah but we produce the oxygen you breathe (laughs) so I can imagine a constant argument, and the guy who just studies uh, manatees is like, well, don't forget manatees, and everyone's like, sit down, Rick. <laughs> the grown-ups are talking. <laughs> we do give the all the uh, the, the ma- birds and mammals people a hard time for, yeah, you guys don't even, in terms of species numbers, you don't even exist. Right, you know? yeah, because yep. it's just not, there's not as much. No, no. We saw like sleeves upon sleeves, drawers upon drawers of butterflies. Yeah. <laughs> Right, totally. Of just butterflies. Of just something when you're a kid, you say, that's a butterfly. Well, I got news for you. There's a million things that are butterflies. (laughs) A million different things. Yeah, yeah, totally. You're studying botany and you realize the interaction between insects and plants is so important. They both need each other so much and they're both so different. Yeah, yeah. And and that was kind of cool. So why I ended up ent- in entomology was because I felt like I had like, you know, I naively thought I've got this botany thing down pat, you know. I know everything there is to know about yeah, plants. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So now I'm just going to switch over to this entomology stuff. Um, but it but it is cool kind of uh, knowing both sides of the, the that story because it what, what some of the things that I'm interested in are particularly like the coevolution of plants and insects. So you've got like there's a lot of insects that specialize and only feed on certain types of plants. Well, as those certain types of plants diversify over time, so do all the insects diversify as well. And so you can kind of like trace back these family trees of plants and insects and lay them on top of one another. And, you know, sometimes they're, they're almost mirror images of one another. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Do you have a favorite fact? Like, what do you say when you have to hang out with the in-laws and have a cocktail or, you know, or like you're at a, uh, you're at like a uh, you know, significant other's work party and they're like, well, what do you do? And you're like, oh, I'm a curator of entomology. And then they go, Justif- uh, yeah. justify your existence. <laughs> right. Well, as a comedian, the second someone says you're a comedian, they're like, tell me a joke. It's the only job that you get requested to do at a party. Right. No yeah. one's ever like, cool. Do you want to do neuroscience on me? Right. <laughs> Yeah, mostly in those sorts of situations, the the weird things that I get are people want me to diagnose their like spider bites or <laughs> um, you know, or some sort of blemish that they have on yeah. their skin or something like that. And the uh, one weird thing that happened with that was 
it was late on a Friday and I had this guy call me up and he was this total Southern California, like surfer bro kind of guy. And he's like, Hey dude, I think my girlfriend's got a bot fly on her butt. And I was like, okay, well, what do you want me to do about that? You know? <laughs> and, and I said, I, and, and our standard disclaimer for when everybody, anytime one, somebody wants us to look at their body in some sort of way is that we're not medical doctors. If you have a specimen for me to look at, I'll look at a specimen. Man, I'm in charge. I'm more bugs than butts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Unfortunately, in <laughs> yeah, this instance. Right. Yeah. And so uh, he said, oh, well, we dug it out. We dug it out. I'll bring it into you. And so th- he met me at the loading dock. He hands me this, uh, this little Ziploc bag that's got something kind of like it looks about the size of a pea in the bottom of it. And there's like blood in there and stuff. It was oh. super gross. Oh. <laughs> I didn't have time to rinse it off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he hands it to me. And he gives me his telephone number. And I, um, I said, okay, well, I'll look it up in the lab. And I like, you know, totally disinfected it and looked at it. And it ended up being a sebaceous cyst. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so it's so, not a bug at all. Yeah, it's not a bug at all. So, so they so. dug just like matter out of her butt and was yes. like, bring that to the bug guy yeah. we met at that bar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> yeah. And, and that is, that's, that's the sort of, when I tell people I'm an entomologist, it, it is like, well, how do I get rid of the roaches in my house? You know, it's all these like very applied, you know, things that I actually have very little knowledge of because I'm about these kind of esoteric weird insects and describing new species and stuff like that. Yeah. People don't really like, I think uh, Mitch Hedberg always had that joke. It's like, uh, you're a comedian. Do you want to be a writer or an actor? He's like, no, I'm a comedian. You don't ask a cook if he wants to be a farmer or a cow. He only does that one part of it. Yeah. And yeah. it's like to be a doc, have a doctor in entomology and someone's like, Hey, um, am I allowed to kill this kind of spider? <laughs> yeah. Like, Is yeah. this moth going to eat my sweater? It's yeah. like, we're doing something very different yeah. over here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We just had a uh, our upstairs neighbor, like literally had the most cartoonish uh, upstairs neighbors. They had like a roach infestation uh-huh. and were insanely loud. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know about the roach infestation until recently. We started getting some. Yeah. And then we find out that they had like three nests in their Ooh. apartment. They were bubbling over into yours. Yeah, and they were just pouring out into ours. And I was like, oh, I'm going to meet with an entomologist tomorrow. And I was like, I could, I was like I'm not going to just sit here and be like, how do we kill roaches? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, let's just let the exterminators do yeah, that. Exactly. That's that's what I end up telling people. Yeah. It's because like, they, they know how to do it better than I do. Yeah, it's like asking yeah. a marine biologist about like flushing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my toilet water, does that go out to the ocean? It's yeah. like, what the Gosh. Do you have a favorite bug, or is that, are you one of those people that's like, it's so hard to choose? Oh, it's know? like picking my favorite child. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> no, um, one that I always fall back on that keeps coming, rising back up on the list, an, an old standby, I guess, would be these things called Jerusalem crickets, which are another name for them are potato bugs. Okay. Um, it's one of the things that we get the most phone calls about um, that because, you know, people call the museum and they want to know, like, oh, I found this bug in my yard kind of thing. And with that one, like, I sometimes play this game where, you know, I almost, like, name that tune. Like, I wonder how how many words am I going to need to describe what this insect is? And for that one, people say, like, alien or or giant termite is the words that I often hear. Because they're about the size of your thumb. They're, oh, wow. And I guess it, supposedly it's what Jiminy Cricket was, like, modeled after. So, they got this really big head. And it's oh. – in Mexico, they call them uh, los niños de terra, the children of the earth, because it looks like they've got a baby's head. That's a stretch. Potato bug is 
one of those terms I think people use blanket for like nine different types of bugs. Exactly. Because I've seen yep. the roly polies growing up in Long Island, the little like what look yeah. like little armadillos yeah. more or less. Yeah, pill bugs. Yeah, or, pill yeah. bugs. They yeah. would call those potato bugs. Yeah. Yep. And then I feel like potato bugs kind of extrapolated out. I was like, if I didn't know what it was, it was just my dad. Oh, maybe it was just my parents. Yeah. Now I'm, as I'm saying this, it's like, maybe it's just my no. lazy parenting. That's no. eh, another potato bug. Eat it. Go and get outside. <laughs> well, so many of the common name type stuff, like with that, it's like, uh, I was digging up my potatoes and I found this bug. Must yeah. be a potato bug, you know? Um, and so, and that's, you know, if you talk to any scientist or entomologist for very long, you, you get into this conversation about scientific names versus common names and right. stuff like that, because, you know, common names are, they're all over the place. That's, there's a reason that scientific names yeah. exist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Let's be slightly more specific <laughs> yeah. than like big potato bug, little <laughs> yeah. potato yeah, bug. Right. <laughs> what makes you like them? Why do they keep coming back up to the forefront? They are vaguely restricted to Southern California and Northern Mexico. So they're kind of special for our area. So that I kind of feel like they're the mascot of my department in some sort of way. <laughs> um, they're also, they're just really weird and wicked looking. Um, and then they've got this really cool natural history story that's associated with them is that they can get um, infested by this parasite called a horsehair worm. And it gets into their body and it starts to grow and it starts to grow and it gets really, 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 really big. Um, and then it sort of, but in order for it to complete its life cycle, it has to get into water. Okay. I've seen this. Then. Yeah. I've yeah. seen this on YouTube. I've seen uh, some variation of this. Yeah. It's haunting. Yeah. It's right. Like, That's when they put it in the water and then all of a sudden out. Yeah, yeah, out it comes. And, and it's like twice the size of the thing it was inside exactly. of. Exactly. It's like a thread coiled up inside, yeah. like on a spool, oh, you know, yeah. inside of their body. And then it comes out like a magician pulling yeah. uh, ribbons out of his <laughs> sleeve. Scars yeah, out of their scars. mouth. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It just keeps coming. Yeah. And you're like, all that was in that poor yeah. little potato yeah. bug? Oh. You know, these potato bugs normally don't like to go around water very much. And so what they say is like the horsehair worm kind of modifies their brain chemistry to make them feel like that they're thirsty and dehydrated and so they go to the water and they can't drink enough water until they like eventually drown themselves in oh, the water so it's oh like this my. zombie crickets you know taken over by these weird worms that feels like zombieism or, yeah. or rabies or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah, yeah affecting the brain chemistry of, yeah a yeah. parasite that affects your oh yeah God. yeah it's like also, men in black i need more sugar water right. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. And yeah. are they har are potato bugs otherwise harmless? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, they they burrow underground, mostly feed on dead and decaying plant matter and stuff like that. I mean, if you held one in your hand, it might give you a little nip, but right. you know. I think that's like the marker of the coolest kind of bugs is like like you said, weird or odd looking and harmless. Yeah. Right. Like those are my favorite. Like I grew up like once I learned that like my dad would be like, usually if it's a huge beetle and it's in the northeast it's in yeah. new york it's fine it's not gonna right. hurt you and right. i was like oh that makes them even cooler now yeah. i'm not scared of them but i can watch how cool they are because they're huge yeah that's and, that's I, that, that's the intersection of your venn diagram it's right, got to yeah. be harmless and big and cool <laughs> yeah exactly when you're a kid like the second you're like oh these this uh hornet looks cool it's like that will hurt you you're like i hate it now <laughs> i'm scared of it for 40 years <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's get to current time and wh what you're doing here now at the at the NAT. So we want to talk a little bit. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of people in their hometowns or n nearby in a major city have a natural history museum. We have one in L.A. We have one in San Diego. I, the New York one is a pretty famous one. Yep. If you've watched a Ben Stiller movie, yeah, right. you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but I uh, 
what what is the purpose of the natural history museum? You mentioned a few things that I was like, you know, I guess I didn't even know that, and I feel like that would be interesting for our listeners. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, the origin of almost all natural history museums was it they were like a society of natural history, which means that it was basically a club of natural history geeks that uh, got together to talk about science and natural history. And then eventually they would start developing collections. And then eventually they would go like, oh, we need to put all these collections in one place. Then they'd basically have a storefront. And once you have a storefront, it's like, oh, well, we should put some of this on display. And then it becomes a museum like that's available to the public. So really the root of all natural history museums are collections. But that's like the stuff that's behind the scenes that you guys saw. So most people who come to a natural history museum, they walk in, they see the dinosaurs and and whatnot, but they don't even realize that behind the scenes, there's all this kind of these collections and their science and, and that stuff has value. Yeah. Like the museum part is to bring in a little money to keep the lights on and to garner interest and yeah. education for a younger generation. But totally you're doing a whole, you, everyone, every, it seems like we walked maybe just a few laps and we saw like, I saw like nine different people doing all different projects. We saw some, the arthropod crew, shout out to the arthropod crew, <laughs> uh, doing some microscope stuff. We saw some people dusting off some fossils. We yep. saw a guy down in the snake room. <laughs> like there's so much stuff. You guys are doing things that are outside of just like, look at this 3d video of African safari or look at these big bones in the lobby. Right. Right, There's a lot of stuff going on here that's for the good of society and science and stuff. Yeah. And in particular, you know, what's cool about natural history museums or what I think is cool about natural history museums is that we do have these collections that, you know, date way, way, way back. So we've like our oldest collections are from the 1870s up until, you know, contemporary time. And so because of that, we've got this like verifiable record of the past and that's what science is all about, right? right? Is being able to repeat things and verify things. So we've got this verifiable record of the past and some of the most kind of what I think are interesting and innovative ways that people are using collections now are you know, to look at change over time. Like we have the study that's going on in the San Jacinto mountains, which is uh, those, ma- those mountains that are to your South. If you're going out to Palm Springs in the, in the Valley of the circling turbines, um, a <laughs> hundred years ago, this famous naturalist was up in those mountains and just sampled the hell out of it. And we went back in 2008, a hundred years later to sample the hell out of it with the same intensity. And now we're describing kind of this change over time. And there's some things, that like used to be on the tip tops of the mountains that aren't there anymore that have like gone locally extinct because you know the assumption is climate change right the right. tops of the mountains it's got not warmer as cool as it used to yeah, be, yeah exactly but then there's other things that are changing distribution in different ways and so this kind of idea of being able to look into the past i mean it's in our name we're natural history museums right but you can do some cool stuff with it like for an example like i'll try to boil it down to maybe oversimplify it like you could look at a potato bug that someone got in uh, 1908 and then look at a potato bug in 2008 and and garner differences and then maybe make hypotheses about what happened to the entire area based on that it looks like their diet may have changed or their color changed maybe their dust changed you know totally and and then and like one of the weird things 
things that that the group that's doing this study uh, has been working on is this thing called stable isotope analysis. And don't ask me to explain it in gory, <laughs> gory detail. But what you can tell from it is exactly what you just said. You can make some hypotheses about what the diet of things are by like chemically testing their fur or their feathers. Oh. When, and when I say diet, it's like they were more carnivorous. They ate more grains than they yeah. did. And so even though we might not be able to physically see change between two specimens, uh, they can like use these really weird techniques to to actually learn about kind of the ecology of those animals back then, which is re- pretty far that's out. Re- that's very cool. Yeah. It's also crazy that like we're studying bugs here, but we also have collections of things that are a hundred years old that we're still studying. And like, yeah. that's wild. So yeah. like, that sleeve of butterflies we saw is foreseeably here for ever, right? As yeah. Long, as long as it lasts. We're in the business of preservation. And so everything is prepared in ways that, as far as we know, is indefinite. Um, oh, that's wild. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, every different discipline preserves their stuff in different ways to kind of maximize its livelihood. Natural history museums are often focused on their local area. Like the big manatee we saw downstairs is from n- near here. Yeah. And are we to assume that the dinosaur bones are from around here and the yeah, mammoth exactly. bones that we yeah. saw? And that's not necessarily all natural history museums. I mean, there there are, you know, like the Cal Academy, for instance, um, in, in the American Museum of Natural History, they're yeah. kind of like, or the Smithsonian, they're natural history museums for the world, right, you know, right, kind yeah. of thing. But we we focus on Southern California and Baja California. So pretty much, if you walk in our doors, almost everything you see, with few exceptions, is from oh. somewhere in San Diego County or Baja California. Oh, that's awesome. It is kind of cool because I mean that means kids who come in here and you know with their school groups or whatnot, they're seeing stuff that got dug up, you know, possibly in their backyard. You yeah, know? and I think that's really fun too because. That's something about museums. You're like, oh, cool. Look at this art piece. Look at this thing. It's like, just so you know, that's fr- that came from here. Yeah. Like telling yeah. a kid, like, drive an hour in every direction. There's a di- These dinosaur bones were somewhere there. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's wild. I mean, I think that's how you make anyone understand anything is put it on their front door. Exactly. I mean, that, so, you know, th- there's this branch of science called conservation psychology. It's like, how do you pe- make people have more of a conservation ethic? And one of the key tenets of conservation psychology is that you have to make it relevant to people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by focusing on local stuff, and also, you know, San Diego, much like LA, I assume, is filled with transplants, right? right. People who've moved here from wherever. I mean, I came here from back east, et cetera, kind of thing. And so if you want to encourage conservation ethic in an area that's filled with transplants, then you got to like really educate them and make them appreciate this is what's in your backyard. It's cool. It's important. It's awesome. And it could all go away, people. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It's like everyone's like, I don't know. It's still cold by me. It's like, that doesn't mean global warming isn't happening (laughs) for fuck's sake. (laughs) I just opened my window and it's freezing here in Michigan. (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) then you're fine. (laughs) Keep spraying chlorofluorocarbons (laughs) into the world. uh, so I interrupted you. So uh, you were doing a study in Baja is what you were saying? Yeah, we do a lot of, the museum in general does a lot of expeditions into areas that we consider black holes of science. So it's areas that where, because we can go into our collections and, you know, it's not just animals, the, the critters or, or butterflies or beetles on pins. There's those little tiny labels that tell you exactly where they were collected and when they were collected, et cetera. And so we can look through all that sort of stuff and figure out where we have things and where we don't have things and then determine, you know, oh, this area is a, for us is a black hole. We don't know anything about this mountain range. And then that encourages us to 
seek the funding to uh, go down and do these expeditions into those areas to document everything there and, you know, often find, you know, interesting new things. So either like some new species or some variation of a, again, to go back to our potato bug. And it's like, oh, why in this mountain range is this potato bug different than that potato bug? Could you tell us something about its totally. environment and ecosystem? Yeah, totally. So the project we're working on right now is way down at the tip of Baja California. It's like in the area of Cabo and La Paz. And there's this big mountain range. Oh, you have to keep going to Cabo for yeah, work? Yeah, I know. It's a hard knock life, you know? <laughs> That's like the, uh, yeah. for, for those of you living outside the SoCal area, Cabo is like the Hamptons of <laughs> SoCal. You you like go to Cabo for the weekend yeah, right. <laughs> and maybe check out the quote unquote black holes of science. science yeah. <laughs> we know what you're up to. Uh, Have, sipping a marg on the beach. Found another potato bug, bug. honey. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. But in the middle of that, that area is this really high mountain range um, that's a international biosphere reserve. It's acknowledged like, you know, throughout the world to be special because it's got it's this tall mountain that's totally isolated and you can almost consider it an island. People call them sky islands, right? Oh, wow. And just like you have the Galapagos and the Hawaiian islands, you know, anytime something's really isolated, you're going to have all this weird speciation that happens there and have unique things there. And so that area is actually well-documented, but just like right north of that, there's a low ridge line, and then you get to another area where there's another small cluster of mountains, and that was the area that we determined was a black hole. It's called the Sierra Cacachilas. And so that's where we wanted to go because we considered, you know, kind of like, again, going back to the island analogy, if like the big island has diversity associated with it, then some of the smaller islands out the chain might also have some really cool diversity associated oh, with it. Yeah, that's why people study the Galapagos so hard, right? Is because it's so it has its like there's been no real interference in its uh evolution or yeah, its ecology. Yeah, yeah. It's had low impact from humans and and also just like its distance from the mainland of South America make it so that and if it was a rare event for anything to be able to get the hell over there. Yeah. And so once something got there, it usually went nuts diversifying. So, you know, Darwin's big thing was he was interested in these finches. So probably, you know, I don't know the gory details of this. There's other people who have analyzed this to death. But, you know, presumably one finch got over the Galapagos Islands and then it speciated into like, I don't know, eight or ten different finches, you know, uh. all doing really weird things. And some of them look decidedly unfinch like because they're occupying a different niche they might be have really really pointy beaks to feed on something special as opposed to seed crushing beaks and stuff like that yeah so cool yeah you're you're looking for that kind of stuff also in socal in these in these environments yeah when you look for that black hole or the uh sky mountain or whatever that's yeah. what you're looking for too is like this has not been interfered with by people and probably no other potato bugs just to keep using potato bugs yeah. no other potato bugs made it to the top of this mountain so right. let's look at yeah. yeah yeah and it's all you know in the name of we might not st- say it explicitly but i think it's in our hearts um that it's all about like uh, documentation for the purposes of conservation, right? right? You know, and so the more uh, people understand that different areas are special, you know, that are unique, that it, like this is the Galapagos Islands of Baja California, yeah. you know, that's going to raise the gravitas of those areas. People and, can wrap their head yeah, around that yeah. when they see that or hear that. Here's the where the questions get a little sillier, and uh, this is the stuff I'm very curious about. All right. What do a group of scientists that work together at a museum or a group of entomologists do for fun? Is there any, like, work thing? Or is it... 
I know it's San Diego, so is it like we all kayak or we all stand up paddleboard? That's huge down here, right? Uh, we we all drink craft brews. Uh-huh. That would probably rank pretty high up there. <laughs> at That's least, pretty standard for yeah. uh, any occupation. Up, seventeen up. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah um, you know, it is uh, as you would expect. It tends to be maybe more outdoorsy oriented things, yeah. um, and uh, especially amongst entomologists. Cause yeah, yeah, as someone who's married to an arachnophobe i know yeah. that fear of spiders can really really ruin a outdoorsy event right yeah so what we like to do um when when we try to do kind of like social events as a department is we go out and we blacklight which means we go out at night and we set up a sheet um like string it up between two branches or whatever and we hang a fluorescent blacklight from it and that attracts insects into it and they all kind of like dance around on the sheet and yeah. it's like a puppet show more yeah. or less. <laughs> Like a shadow puppet show of bugs? Uh, I, I thought you were going with some sort of satanic ritual yeah. of some kind. Yeah. And then we put the newest uh, member of the entomology department on the concrete slab. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. A couple yeah. of tarantula hawks. Yeah. This is the initiation rites of all entomologists. Welcome to the Natural History Museum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just you go out and, you know, there might be some beer involved and you just look at what bugs come to the light. Why are cockroaches known as, like, in destructible like why do people say they'll be here long after we all are you know i don't know if that's based on any sort of science whatsoever i think it's just that they're in like every gross possible place right. that you can think of <laughs> yeah. so surely they must and be you, able to survive the apocalypse right you, know? you can actively try to get rid of them and they still will be around yeah yeah, so ex- may, yeah. yeah exactly um but in terms of kind of uh you know uh good Things to not worry about or things to worry about. One of the things that I get phone calls about a lot is people will tell me, I've got bees in my backyard. And once I ask them to kind of describe it, is it, um, they'll say, yeah, there's a whole bunch of them and they're hanging on this one branch and they can actually see the hive. It's not like they're coming out of a hole in a tree or, or out of their, you know, whatever, uh, some sort of enclosed space. And that's honeybees, they they migrate. I mean, basically, they split their hive, and half of the hive goes in one direction, and half of the hive goes in, or actually half of the hive stays with the main hive. And when they're migrating, they're looking for a new place at a nest, and they will just kind of rest on these branches. And it might be 24 hours, it might be 48 hours, or something like that, but they will go away. And so you don't necessarily have to call like the bee removalist or something like that. So people get flipped out. I got dogs. I I don't want these bees in my backyard and stuff like that. And they will typically go away. And then the weird thing for whatever reason when they are traveling is actually when they're at their most docile. So you don't even have to worry about them like oh. flipping out and stinging you and stuff like that. You know, that um, that's exactly the kind of fact I was looking like. Yeah. That's so, that's so cool. Yeah. What about when people say like, don't kill spiders, they kill other bugs. Like if you see them in your house, like, that's pretty legit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like let daddy long legs live. They're never going to bother you. Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to be pretty, um, I don't know. I'm I'm like whatever works for you, you know, kind of thing. But uh, you're pro-choice. Yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, that that you know, if you don't want them in your house, then get them out of your house. It's no big deal. Right. You know? It's your house. To be uh, in yeah, fair, in the right, end, it's your yeah. house. Yeah. Right now, there are these brown widows, which are related to black widows, and they are like um, venomous. And if you got bit by one, it would be you know, it wouldn't kill you or anything, but it'd make you sick, and you might want to see you know, medical attention. And those are super common now uh, outside of people's homes in San Diego, but they're, but they're an invasive species. They're not native to um, Southern California. 
And so whenever people talk to me about that and they go, yeah, but I guess I shouldn't kill them because they're, you know, they kill other insects. I'm like, no, you can go ahead and kill all them you want to because, you know, they're probably displacing other spiders that are native and stuff like that. So interesting. Yeah. Black widows are terrifying. That was the big move from New York to LA was like, there are actual poisonous spiders. I don't know anyone who's been bitten by a black widow. I don't know anyone who's like, yep. but I know that they are here. I see them sometimes yep. and my wife has me absolutely terrify them. And I like literally said to her the other day, I was like, do you know anyone who's been bitten by a black widow? We've been in California for four years now. Do you know anyone? No. Yeah, me neither. So yep. we, maybe we don't have to go out and spray them when they're by the dumpster. Like let them live. <laughs> so I'm going to be really pedantic. And you said poisonous spider, and this is something that totally rankles biologists, oh. is the difference between poisonous and venomous. Oh, okay. So, so, so poisonous is like if you eat it and it makes you sick, then it's poisonous. Oh, if it Venomous bites you. is if it bites you or stings you and it makes you sick, then it's venomous. And this is one of those like things oh. that like, you know. <laughs> no, that's fine. There's a, there's a version of that in my world, and it's when you call a comedy sketch a skit. Oh, uh-huh. Like if you say on SNL, look at that skit. To comedians, a skit is something you do when you're hosting like a sixth grade talent show. Uh-huh. If you write it and act it and put costumes on it, it becomes a sketch at that yep. point. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, just, really- <laughs> I just wanted to take this opportunity to educate all your please, listeners. Please, please. Uh, I, I will not be eating any Black Widows. I'm not concerned about their poison now. I'm more concerned about their, their venom. venom. You yeah. got it. Uh, one of the things you showed us when we were looking, you showed us some of the displays that you show to kids and yep. they worked on me and Rob, the producer <laughs> we were super pumped about it and one of them was the pain index the bite and sting pain index yeah it's it's full name is the schmidt sting pain index and it's named after this guy uh in new mexico a scientist who studies bee wasp and ant venom and over his life he's been stung or has allowed himself to be stung i don't know how much he allowed himself to be stung versus <laughs> how he much was, is just part of the gig yeah it's just part of the job <laughs> um but he's been stung by you know hundreds of different species of bees wasps and ants and so he would always like diligently take notes about oh it kind of felt like this or it kind of felt like that you know um and he ranked them all on the scale of one to four and so you got some things that you know i think the the words that he used for the ones that are down at the bottom are like light and ephemeral and almost fruity you know um and (laughs) they they do read like a hot sauce like rob said they're like a hot sauce description and you mentioned it was like a wine yeah Yeah, it was like an oaky finish to (laughs) blistering pain right right (laughs) It's like on the, on tier one was like a couple of uh, tier two was like hornets. It looked like or yeah well, yeah yeah things. exactly. So t- so tier one is often. Um what we consider to be native bees, which are the bees that don't necessarily live in hives and stuff like that. Um, tier two had like your hornets and your yellow jackets and honeybees. And those are all like social wasps that hang out in hives and they tend to be more aggressive. And then tier three had some, uh, had some ants and then these things called velvet ants on the East coast. Actually, they call them cow killers. Um, oh, wow. Uh, they don't kill cows, but I don't know. You know, um, they can though. Yeah. That's the thing, right? It's like <laughs> yeah. enough venom to kill a yeah. cow. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and then up at the tip top, at number four, are these things called tarantula hawks that uh, hunt tarantulas, and they sting them, and it's very alien esque. They sting them, they drag them back to a burrow. The tarantula is actually paralyzed; it's not killed. They lay an egg on it, and then the egg hatches, and then burrows in and starts feeding on the. On the li- still living tarantula, like, I always tell people it's fresh meat for baby. Jeez, <laughs> oh, that's uh, 
And if you're wondering if the thing that hunts tarantulas is scary, the answer is yes. Yeah. Do yourself a favor, uh, Google tarantula hawk. Yep. And well, of course, the thing that tarantulas are scary. And if you hunt something that's scary, you're going to like, oh, yeah. Have you ever seen that animal that eats sharks? Yeah. yeah. It's fucking terrifying. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> totally. But oh, that poor guy has a very interesting, Schmidt has a very interesting career. <laughs> yeah. He, he recently put out a book and, uh, on I, I can't remember what it's called. Oh, that kill, it's going to kill me. Um, but he recently put out a book, and he's been on book tours. So I've seen him like on TV and stuff. He's he's a really interesting character. He's actually going to come give a talk at our museum later this uh, summer. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Do you have any big bug events at the San Diego History Museum? Like, is there anything that you're like, oh, everyone comes out for Ladybug Month or whatever? Right. Yeah. yeah. No. We often like almost every month we do these things that we call family days, and they have different themes every every month and they're you know really geared towards parents with small kids and every once in a while there'll be a bug family day and it's usually fun for the whole family as the name suggests <laughs> uh, we went to uh the los angeles natural history museum for my wife's birthday because they had a spider pavilion uh-huh. and she's like this is my new this i'm gonna try to get over it we show up we think we're going to see spiders in tanks and uh behind nets it's just a huge room filled, uh, that, and there's spiders in there. Yeah, no way, right? Like yeah. the webs are just like straight across. They yeah. look like uh, they were all like uh, recluses and wood spiders. Like <laughs> so, it looked like filament. Well, like the web looked like wire. It was like so thick, and it was right. between. And they were some of them were as big as like a fist. Yeah, and I was like, I'm wa-, and I walked through there, and there was like. Eight-year-old kids just like sprinting, like tag, you're it, and I'm like walking in the middle with like my hands, like this. I'm like tucking my socks into my cuffs and stuff. I was like, Did, I, so I recommend that if anyone yep. wants to yep. live amongst totally. the spine, like yep. even the like the volunteers that were well we later learned some were volunteers some were obviously experts but yep. so, like this nice lady was like standing under an umbrella and talking to us and she was like yeah that one's called and we were like oh do you study spiders she's like oh no I'm terrified of spiders as a matter of fact this is my sixth shift uh, in, over the last couple weeks I'm sweating <laughs> and then my wife goes watch out because inside the umbrella is this big and she's like oh, oh she's like all scared I'm like if you're scared and you have the employee shirt on I should get the hell out of here it's exposure therapy yeah. They're all going through exposure therapy. I will say it was just a really cool opportunity to be that close to dangerous spiders and then leave alive makes you like a little right. more willing to get close to them yeah. going forward. Yeah. yeah, totally. Do you have any uh, scary bug stories? Do you have any? Well, the stu- I don't know if it's, well, I, I shouldn't spoil it and say that it ends up being stupid, but um, we, 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 when we were down in this area, in the Sierra Cacachilas one time, we had gone into this like uh, very shallow cave, really shallow cave, and found the exoskeleton of a spider, um, so it's shed skin, basically. And one of the people I was with, a spider expert, and he could tell based on the exoskeleton, whoa, this is in this certain group that's really rare. You know, I don't know anything from this group. We were like, okay, well, we got to come back at night because spiders often come out at night. And so we went back, and this is in a really remote area. And there was a little uh, little barbed wire fence around the this little cave because they don't want the cows, I guess, wandering in there and stuff like that. And we're walking up, and it's dark, and I said, you know, this is a point in all the scary movies where they say, like, we really shouldn't do this, yeah. you know, turn, turn back now. And, and But we go ahead and go in, 
and um, we're, we're, we're shining our headlamps around and looking around and there was some water at the bottom of the cave and all of a sudden this like drop of white fluid like drips down into the water. We heard the bloop and then shine our lights down there and we could see this white stuff floating around and we're like, oh, there must be a bat in here, you know, and let's look, look for it, see if you can find it kind of thing and uh, shine the flashlight up and just as I shine the flashlight up, this bird like flew like straight at me <laughs> and I literally screamed like a little girl. I mean, it was like, <laughs> but we did end up finding that spider and it ended up being a new species an undescribed species. So oh, that wow. was pretty, that was pretty bitching. Wow. That's, that, that's something I uh, let's, uh, I'd like to shift gears and talk about that for a second. Yeah. Cause that was something that people are still finding new species of especially in the in, in the underwater world and in uh insect world yeah totally yeah it's um you know, I think right now they estimate that there are about a, a million, a million point two described species of insects, and the estimates are that the number of undescribed is probably anywhere from two to four million. So wow. there's more out there that we don't know about than what we do know about. And then, and then coming back to natural history museums, the cool thing is that a lot of those have already been collected and they're sitting in natural history museums, but you know, just, just not officially yeah, given a title or, or, or the right person hasn't put their eyes on them. You know, my specialty is a group called the stink bugs. You know, that's always uh, popular <laughs> with the kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Your it, wife loves bring that up at yeah, parties. Right. He's yeah. my husband, Mr. Stink bug. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, but beyond that, like, you know, I don't, I don't if I, if I, I could be looking right at a undescribed species of beetle and I wouldn't know it, you know, just because there's a million damn right. insects. I can't know every one of them. You know? Right. You could say, oh, that looks like a Japanese water beetle. And yeah. then it's like, oh, it looks like a Japanese water beetle, but it's like, you know, 0.1 degree moved over. Right. And it's a yeah. completely different yeah. species yeah. because it lives in this climate versus yeah, that climate. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When we're saying like, what can we learn from insects to take with us going forward? We haven't even learned. We've learned a third of it. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. There's yeah. still so much more. Yeah. And, and then like, um, you know, you think about, uh, I don't know, rats or like some, like r something that's commonly used in like science and labs and stuff like that. And we know like everything about them down to the nth degree, we have their entire genome sequence and all this sort of stuff. Well, like, I mean, for the vast, 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 vast majority of insects, we don't know diddly squat about them other than, uh, you know, of, of those 1.2 million that actually have names, we know little to nothing about their biology because that in itself requires, you know, a whole lot of right. work. And there, I, I you just really like draw blood from most insects right, yeah, and then right. like look at it. Yeah. <laughs> I just gave a talk recently about, um, I call, it was called Breaking Bug. Uh, the um, <laughs> insects is drug addicts, um, dealers, and and something a uh, pharmacists, um, because there's this whole line of research now on using like basically what they call bioprospecting, prospecting for drugs. Um, w in insects and they're finding all these anti-tumor things and venoms and stuff like that. So yeah, there's all sorts of stuff that is out there that's just waiting for, you know, the right person to come along and do the right kind of analysis that could have some real benefit for humans. Oh yeah. And then the second someone, you know, the second corporations find out you can make money in bugs, that's when uh, all of a sudden you're, you're pulling up yeah. in, a, in a Camaro <laughs> with a license plate stink bug yeah. as you rip into your spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, and 
they're, they're, you know, that's like that's a double edged sword of like, oh no, money and science is going to be so. But that allows you guys to really right. get those grants that we're talking about. Yep. Study it. Yep. Second, someone's like, wait. Like you call it prospecting, it's gold. Yeah, you know what right? I mean, it's like if we find a bug that has yep. pharmaceutical applications, totally. we can make billions off of it. Maybe yep. it's worth investing millions yep. in looking at. Yeah, uh, that's so sad. Like you guys are doing such interesting work, but the best way to get money is be like, you can make more money if you do. And then people are like, got it. Like yep. there are uh, there are, there's a level of people that are going like, you could cure disease with that and then there's a whole nother level of people going imagine how much money we can make yep, curing totally. disease yep, <laughs> yep. that's the science versus businessman yep. mix right there yeah yep. mike thanks for taking the time to talk to us no, man. My pleasure. Yeah, dr wall if you will dr no, no, it's all good. yeah there uh, we go <laughs> <laughs> do you have any uh exciting things that you have uh going on that you want to talk about or plug do you have a you know, check out the museum's youtube channel and check out our our facebook and all that sort of stuff we we do try to be really playful with things we got this weird uh video on our youtube channel where i we did a uh, reenactment of this schmidt sting pain index thing <laughs> where i dressed up like i was in the 80s and it was it's actually all filmed um in that kung fury style oh, yeah <laughs> like with the rolling bars <laughs> yeah, throwing and yeah. stuff that's really exciting. so uh yeah just check out our social media and you'll see lots of fun stuff oh that's awesome dr wall thank you so much for taking the time this is so fun uh, my hope pleasure. i didn't bug you too much <laughs> i'm sure that's what you get from like every from all the brother-in-laws yeah uh, close the window we don't want any flies in here i'm sure mike would like that uh mike yeah. Yeah. elbow elbow <laughs> well that was a real nice interview huh i would say it registered a zero on the schmidt sting pain index absolutely painless thank you michael for giving me your time and showing me all your bugs oh that sounds like something that could get me in trouble <laughs> But he showed me his bugs. <laughs> On the next episode of The Layman, I interview Sarah Mills, a scientist working towards 3D printing human tissue. Yeah, we're talking about finally you can get those calves you've always wanted printed right on your legs. The Layman is a Stitcher original and a production of Midroll Media. My EPs are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radlett. My producer is the wonderful Rob Perra. And I am your Layman, John Gabris. Dolly, y'all! This is Tony Rodriguez. This is Carlos Santos. This is Riza Licea. And this is Oscar Montoya. When our powers combine, we are Spanish Aquí Presents. We have a brand new podcast here on Earwolf, bringing you the best of the best of lo mejor of the Latinx comedy. Join us every Tuesday as we chat about what's going on in our lives, Latinx culture, and ¿qué es lo que? Lo que no está picando. Lo que te pica. Don't worry, we'll tell you what that means if you listen. We'll also be joined by a new guest every single week. We'll get to know a little bit more about their lives. Every single week. Uh-huh. And then we'll make them sit back and watch us improvise their lives right back to them. Improvisation. <laughs> Spanish Aki Presents premieres July 16th. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. O donde sea. Spanish Aki Presents. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time. 
only on Netflix. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy, hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.